0: All right, so we're looking at character counts. We're going to learn from two guys this morning, Timothy and Epaphroditus, on the the, the importance of character. Why is this important? Because the world's watching. The world wants to see if Christ has changed our character or not. Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, and and they too may glorify your Father in heaven. An important part of us being a witness to a world is we have Christ like character. Now, does that mean we're perfect? No, we're just forgiven. No Christians can be perfect until we get to heaven. But we should be people, as the Scripture says, that are seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness so all things can be added onto to us, Matthew 6.33. We need to be people that are pursuing holiness, people that are growing in Christlikeness because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we're going to learn this morning in Philippians chapter 2 from two guys. first one was, was Timothy. Paul called Timothy his child or son in the faith. Timothy was an important part of Paul's ministry. Paul had led Timothy to Christ. He was a spiritual papa. And then he became a pastor under Paul's tutelage. Timothy was, was the protege of Paul. He was the one that Paul talked about more than anybody else in his letters. You know, he mentions Timothy 24 times as he talks about his ministry through his letters in the New Testament. We actually wrote two books of the Bible to Timothy. First and second, what? Timothy. And so this guy is very important, a son in the faith. And we'll learn from Timothy this morning some things about having Christ-like character. But then there's a second guy, <clears throat> Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, interesting, was the guy that came from Philippi, the church in Philippians, where Paul wrote a letter to, with a gift to Paul. He traveled 1,200 miles over land and sea to bring a gift from the church in Philippi to Paul, who was in Roman jail cell. Remember, this is a prison epistle. Paul wrote this epistle of Philippians from a Roman jail cell. So Epaphroditus traveled across land and sea, 1,200 miles, to bring this gift to Paul. And then Paul sent back with Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi this letter of Philippians. He was the messenger. And Paul called him my fellow, in the Scripture today, he called him my fellow brother, my fellow worker, my and, and this It was another close compadre of Paul, someone who was a man that Paul said you should give honor to because of the way that he lived his life. So we can learn from these two guys this morning, Philippians chapter 2. I don't know about you, but I love biographies. One of my favorite books to read are biographies. Why? Because you learn from the people that you're reading about if it's the right kind of people you're doing a biography with. Uh, One of my favorite biographies I ever read was Billy Graham's uh, Just As I Am. I remember reading through that and just gleaning principles from the life of Billy Graham and how I need to live as a preacher and as a Christian. Another one of my favorite biographies was uh, uh, by, uh, about uh, D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. He's from my city. He's from Chicago. He was a shoe salesman that came to Christ and then began a, a ministry that changed the world in many ways. He, he started Moody Bible Institute. He started Moody Church in Chicago. He did a lot of overseas evangelism and amazing. Learned a lot from just studying the life of D.L. Moody. I've learned from other biographies I've read. Is, is uh, I, did a, I read a biography on Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of all time. Learned a lot from that. Learned a lot from a biography. I remember years ago, I, I, I read a biography about um, um, uh, Jerry Falwell. And it was amazing. This guy, man, I, I don't always agree with his, all his moral majority stuff and emphasizing that. But that guy, man, he started Liberty University, which is the largest Christian university in the country right now. We can learn from other believers. Amen? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we'll learn from these two guys today, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we'll learn some things about having character that counts. Character counts. So let's look at our scripture, Philippians chapter 2. And we left off in verse 19 last week. We go verse by verse through the New Testament on Sunday mornings. Let's just read it together, and then we'll glean from this scripture some character principles this morning from these two guys. Chapter 2, verse 19, if you're there, say amen. amen. Here we go. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also might be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will generally be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth. This is Timothy, that he serve with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Therefore I hope to send him, Timothy, immediately, as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will be coming shortly, but I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, second character. Notice what he says about Epaphroditus. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete was deficient in your service to me. So two characters, and let's learn from these guys now. Let's go back to the top. Timothy. Notice what Paul says about Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Now, Paul is with Timothy in this Roman jail cell. Chapter chapter 1 verse 1 actually says this book of Philippians was sent by Paul and Timothy to the church in Philippi. So Paul is now with Timothy in the jail cell, and he's saying, I'm hoping to send him shortly to you. And I'm hoping that not only will I send back Epaphroditus, the letter of Philippians, but I'm hoping to send down the road here Timothy too. Interesting. And we'll notice what he says about Timothy. Verse 20 again. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Kindred spirit. That's one word in the Greek. It's isopsychos. It means he has the same spirit, or literally translated, the same soul that I have. Kindred spirit. Interesting. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying, if I send Timothy to you, in many ways, I'm sending me. Because I've mentored him and discipled him to the point that in sending Timothy, I'm sending someone with the same spirit and the same soul that I have. You know, it's it's important to understand that as we disciple people, as we mentor other people and help them spiritually, we become same-souled with them, and then we could multiply the ministry and the impact that we have spiritually. Parents, listen to that you got 18 years with your kids to disciple your kids. And as you disciple your kids, the psalm says that as you disciple your kids and then they get out of your house, it's like shooting arrows out into the world for the kingdom of God because you've multiplied your impact through discipling them well and then sending them out into the world. Interesting. It's interesting too because as we see Timothy, he multiplies Paul's ministry to the point that he, he becomes a pastor and then he multiplies churches and becomes pastors of churches. And that's why Paul wrote first, first and second Timothy because now Paul was writing to this pastor that was pastoring after he mentored him. Howard Hendricks, the professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, says this, he says that every single Christian should have a Paul, a Barnabas, and a Timothy in their life. Every single Christian should have a Paul that you're being discipled by, someone that's mentoring you. Every single believer should have a Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager, someone who encourages you spiritually. And then every single believer should have a Timothy, someone that you're mentoring and someone you're reproducing yourself with like Paul did with Timothy. That's important, isn't it? I praise God for the Pauls in my life. my life. The guys that have poured into me and helped me spiritually. I think of Dr. Dave, the Bible college professor that took me under his wing as a young Christian. He just poured into me, mentored me, and then he multiplied his ministry through me. I praise God for the encouragers. There's several of you in there in this church that are Barnabas people that encourage me on a regular basis. Praise God for you. And I praise God also for uh, Timothy's, people that I could pour into and I could mentor also. It's an important thing to have Paul's and Barnabas and Timothy's. And then it goes on and says about Timothy, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will, notice, be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. First character quality that we see in Timothy. This, this guy that had a kindred spirit with the Apostle Paul. He was generally concerned about the welfare of other things. And it's interesting, Paul says, no one else like Timothy. That's sad. That's sad. Paul knew, according to the book of Romans, he knew 26 Christians in Rome, but Paul said none of these people have the level of a concern for the welfare of others and for the interests of Christ like Timothy has. And that's something that we need to be honing in on in our lives too, because there's two ways you can live your life. One way you can live your life is verse 21 here, just seek after your own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But another way you could live your life, chapter 1, verse 21, is for me to live as Christ, to die as gain we got to make a choice. And if you want more joy in your life, we're talking about joy in this book. You want more joy in your life? Quit being so self-absorbed and narcissistic like the rest of our culture and do what Jesus said, lose your life, and then you'll find it. Quit being so selfish and self-centered and become Christ-centered and other-centered. That's the first character quality that Timothy displays here. Genuine concern and love for others and putting the interests of Christ before your interests. And if you do that, you'll have more joy. Because what's the acrostic for joy we keep referring to? Joy is J-O-Y. Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. You'll have more joy. As you learn to start having, like like, uh, Timothy says about, or like Timothy, having a genuine concern for the welfare of other people. Putting others first. You know, when I first got saved remember I, I, I fell into Christian fellowship. I got involved in this Bible study and Young Life group and started going to church. I remember meeting Christians and getting involved with Christians for the first time. And I was a little skeptical. These people are way too nice. What do they want from me? What's the agenda? What's the ulterior motive? And as I got involved with these Christians, you know what I found out? They don't want anything from me. They just love me. They actually cared about me, and they, even with all my idiosyncrasies, all my faults, all my rough edges coming from a lost background, they just really, really cared about me. And it was the thing that sealed the deal with me for Christianity, because these people had an unconditional love and a concern for me. Bible makes it very clear. Jesus says, "All men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another." Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. By this, again, all men will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that if we don't have love, we're nothing as Christians. 1 Corinthians 13 actually says, if you proclaim the name of Christ, and you have tongues and prophecy and knowledge and all this other stuff, but you don't have love, not only are you not nothing, but you're, you're a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong you know what that's saying? Christians that are proclaiming the name of Christ and being selfish and not caring about people just give people a headache. They do. They're just a noisy gong and clanging symbol. So stop it. If you want to be a witness for Christ, love people. Have a genuine concern for the welfare of others. Put the interests of Christ and others before your own interests. It's the greatest part of our witness. I heard about this little boy. I was reading Chuck Swindoll's book on Philippians. It's called Laugh Again. And I think it's a true story, and it's a great example of this nine-year-old boy having a concern for others above himself, for his sister. Listen to this story from Chuck Swindoll's book, Laugh Again. It's a six-year-old girl who became deathly ill with a dread disease. To survive, she needed a blood transfusion from someone who had previously conquered the same illness. The situation was complicated by her rare blood type. Her nine-year-old brother qualified as a donor because he had that rare blood type and had had the disease previously also. But everyone was hesitant to ask this 9-year-old brother because he was just a boy. Finally, they agreed to have the doctor pose the question. The attending physician tactfully asked the boy if he was willing to be brave and donate blood for his sister. Though he didn't understand much about such things, the boy agreed without hesitation, saying, Sure, I'll give my blood for my sister. He lay down next to his sister, smiled at her as they pricked his arm with the needle. And then he closed his eyes and lay silently on the bed as the pint of blood was taken out of his arm. Soon thereafter, the physician came in to thank the little boy. The boy was quivering lips and tears. And as the tears came down his uh, cheeks, he asked the doctor, Doctor, when do I die? At that moment, the doctor realized the naive little boy thought by giving his blood he was giving up his life. Quickly, the doctor reassured the boy that he was not going to die, but amazed at his courage... And the doctor asked, why, why were you willing to risk your life for her? The boy replied, because she's my sister, and I love her. And that was the boy's simple but significant reply. See that? It's genuine concern for the welfare of his sister, so much so that he was willing to give his life for her. You know, earlier in this chapter, Paul put it this way in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he said this: Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but what? Interests of others. And who ultimately gave us that example? Jesus. In that chapter, it also says, who who emptied himself, taking the nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to what? Death on a cross for us. Jesus set the example of looking to the interests of others and the interests of the kingdom before his own interests, and we need to do the same. Amen? That's the first Christlike character. The most important thing in our Christlike character needs to be our love and concern for other people and putting the interests of Christ and people above our own interests. And Paul, Paul said Timothy had that. Now notice verse 22, second character quality. He says, but you know of this Timothy of his proven worth. Stop right there. Proven worth. What is that? Literally translated, he passed the test. Could also be translated, he was trustworthy or he was faithful. Faithful. That's the next character quality we're going to have. You know why? Because this world's fickle and flaky. Have you noticed that? The closer we get to the end, the more fickle and flaky people are getting around us, right? Used to be you could make an agreement with somebody with a handshake. Today you need a 10-page contract because people are so flaky and fickle. Right? we got way too many lawyers. If you're a lawyer, God bless you. But we got way too many lawyers right now in our culture. Why? Because people are flaky and fickle. And one of the, one of the things that Paul said about Timothy, he's got proven worth. He's trustworthy. He's faithful. And I tell you what, that, that's got to be in our arsenal of character as a Christian because if we're not faithful, we're not trustworthy, we're not of proven worth, People see the fickleness and the flakiness, and it hurts our witness. Jesus said, let your yes be yes, and what? Your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, for goodness sake, do it. If you say you're going to be somewhere, be there. If you say you're going to serve in an area, serve in that area. If you say you give somebody your word on something, let your word be your word. Because the, the name of Christ is at stake. And if we don't have proven worth, and we're not trustworthy, and we're not faithful, our witness, bam, ruined. Faithfulness, very important. And one of the joys of heaven, you know what it's going to be? It's going to be not only the no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sin, no more death. God's going to wipe away every tear. But if we're living a faithful life for Christ, one of the joys of heaven is going to be entering heaven and God saying to us, well done, Good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of your master. Amen. I want to hear those words. One of my life verses is First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight that says, "Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain." Be steadfast, be faithful is what Paul's saying there. You know, and one of the interesting things as you're faithful, you know what God does. You become fruitful. And when, you, when you're faithful, God entrusts you with more to do. We're told that in the parable of the talents. In Matthew chapter 25, uh, verse 33, it says, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter now into the joy of your master. You want more things to do and you want your life to count more? Then have the character quality of faithfulness because th- those that are faithful in little things, God will entrust with more. Probably the greatest example to me of that is a guy by the name of Greg Laurie. Greg Laurie is pastoring pastor in one of the largest Calvary chapels in the world. He's in Riverside, California. He has 20,000 people come to his campus every weekend. I mean, it's like I get a headache just thinking about that. Can you imagine the children's ministry for 20,000 people? It's like a city coming to your campus, right? And it's crazy. I mean, it's just, um, I've been to his church, I've been to his campus, and it's just amazing the impact that they're having there in Southern California, Riverside, California. But you know where Greg Laurie started? He started as a 17-year-old kid that got saved at Calvary Chapel, the original one in Costa Mesa, and he started going faithfully to every Bible study of the night. He was there every night of the week, just soaking in the Word, learning God's Word, and being trained to faithfully study God's Word. Then he went from there to working in the office. He was the gopher in the office for a couple years where he just, whatever the pastors needed, he'd go for it. They needed a doorknob for an office door. He'd go get the doorknob for them. If they needed uh, something to be brought in for office equipment or, or more stuff. He'd go to you know office supply place and get it for the pastors. He and then then at lunchtime, if the secretaries are out to lunch, the pastors are out to lunch, he'd answer the phones. It was a seventeen-year-old kid answering the phones at Costa Rica, which was blown blowing up and exploding at that time, and he'd start answering the phones, and and, and he'd give pastoral counsel to whoever answered. <laughs> they didn't know he was a 17-year-old kid. He just would start counseling biblically over the phone, you know? And then what happened was uh, Pastor Chuck's son, Chuck Smith Jr., started a Bible study in Riverside, and um, then the Bible study grew to maybe 30, 40 young people and stuff, but then he got called to start a church in Orange County. He left the Riverside Bible study. There's nobody to lead the Bible study anymore. So Pastor Chuck asked Greg Laurie, it's, he was 19 years old at the time, so said, why don't you go lead the Bible study in Riverside? No one else wants to do it. It's smoggy out there. It's a desert, and none of the other pastors wanted to go out to the desert. Greg said, I'll do it. What to the Bible say? Went out there with his early 70s and just started teaching the Word to these young people. Within two or three years, that little Bible study grew to 2,000 people. And then he started doing the Harvest crusade several years later and started filling you know, civic centers and stadiums uh, with the gospel of Jesus Christ and great music and everything else. God's used him so greatly around the world. Became personal friends with Billy Graham on the Billy Graham board and everything else. And he started just being faithful teenagers, serving, being a gopher and working in the office and doing whatever needed to be done around the office. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. If you want to do things for the kingdom start by being faithful in the little things and then god will give you more. now does that mean you all become preachers no but it means that if you want to be significant in regards to your impact at work or wherever else just start being faithful start faithfully coming to church start faithfully serving it doesn't matter where you serve i mean we need more ushers we need more children's ministry people we need more greeters we need more people with small groups we need more people just helping around here just start serving and God will make your faithfulness turn into fruitfulness. Amen? Proven worth, trustworthiness, faithfulness. Then it goes on. But that also, it says in verse 22, another character quality in Timothy, that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving what? His, his papa, his father. How many here have worked for your dad in a paid position where he actually paid you to work for him? Raise your hand. If you've worked for your dad... And he paid you to work for, let me, let me ask you, if, if you worked for your dad and he paid you to work for him, how'd you work? How, how did you work? You worked pretty hard, didn't you? I remember my dad had a real estate company in Chicago, and he, one of the things he'd do is he'd buy commercial real estate properties that were, were condemned and dilapidated, and then he would hire me and some of my buddies to go in there and be the demolition, demolition crew. I remember he brought this one Victorian building right on Oak Park Avenue in the main business district that was a Chinese restaurant. And, and, and it was three stories. And the second story was old uh, offices that became tenement housing for the workers in the Chinese restaurant. And it was just, I mean, it was filthy and everything else. But my dad, I remember my dad hired me and some of my high school buddies, and he, he brought us up to the second story, and he all gave us all sledgehammers. We spent like the whole week with sledgehammers, just busting the walls out, busting the window. It was fun. And then he put a dumpster out in the alley, and everything that we were busting up in the second floor, we got to throw out the window into the dumpster in the alley. But I remember just working so hard, 12-hour days getting that thing. A number of times my dad delegated work like that, and I'll I'll never forget. I never worked harder for anybody else than my dad. That was my dad. I remember as a 14-year-old, he bought this uh, brick uh, uh, condominium, or it's actually like an apartment building, and he was turning it into office space. He had me the whole summer on the second story of all those windows, and then the first story of uh, painting the trim, the wood trim, uh, and making it look presentable for offices that were going to come in. I remember one day, as a 14-year-old, it was a hot summer day. I was up on that ladder for, you know, eight or nine or ten hours. I remember get, coming down the ladder, my dad, meet me at the bottom of the ladder, And putting his arm around me and say, well done, son. Well done, son. There's not many 14-year-olds. I'll never forget his words. He says, there's not many 14-year-olds that could work an eight or nine hour day like you just did on top of a ladder. I'm proud of you. You know what I wanted to do at that point? I want to get back on the ladder and work another eight or nine hours. Because just the affirmation of my dad. So what is it saying that Timothy served like a child with his father? He served fervently with all his heart. That's the next character quality, a Christ-like character quality that needs to be in our life. We need to work heartily as unto the Lord, Colossians says. When we work, we work. We don't do things half-heartedly. We're fervent in the way we work. Why? Because the world's watching. And if you're a lazy Christian and you don't work hard, the message is not going to get through the people that we want to share Christ with. We earn people's respect by the way we work. If we want them to listen to us about Christ, then let's work heartily in whatever God's called us to do. Because again, the Bible says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. And then they too may glorify your Father in heaven. See how important that is for a witness? Work like a a son serving his father in whatever God's called you to do. And that's not just out in the marketplace. That's what you do for the Lord. If we're going to serve the Lord, let's work heartily. Let's do it with all our hearts, because he deserves that. Amen? Okay, now let's go to the next character, Epaphroditus. Notice what he says about Epaphroditus now. He says, verse 25, But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, who's also your messenger and minister to my need. Do you see the description there of Epaphroditus? He's a brother. Look around the people that are around you. Just look look at the people that are around you. You know, that's your brother, your sister, in Christ? Church, if you're a believer, you're a family with the people around you. Paul says, Epaphroditus, that's my brother. Now is he my brother, he says he's my fellow worker. It's another description of Christians. We're working in the same cause. We're bringing in the same harvest. We got the same uh, thing that God's called us to do, and that's our father's business in bringing people to Christ and then discipling them in God's Word. And then it also says Epaphroditus is a fellow soldier. Do you know we're in a war together, church? The Bible says we don't struggle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but about powers and principalities. There's a real war. We're in war. If you're a Christian, you've enlisted. You're part of God's army. But you're also a fellow messenger like Epaphroditus. Our job is to go out to all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We're messengers and ministers. Did you know you're a minister? I just ordained you right there. You're ministers. Every Christian is called to be a minister. How's that? Minister just means servant. We're all called to serve. As soon as you get, get saved, you become not only a part of God's army, you become ministers for the cause of Christ. We're all called to serve. And that's what Epaphroditus was. And then it goes on, because he was longing for you and all was distressed because you heard that he was sick. For indeed, Epaphroditus, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him to you all the more eagerly, so that when you see him you may rejoice, and I may be less concerned about you. Now here's what Paul's saying, that that Epaphroditus, as he traveled 1,200 miles, land and sea, to visit Paul and bring the gift from the Philippians, he got sick. Some scholars believe that he probably got maybe the Roman fever at the time, which was a virus that was sweeping through the Roman Empire. He could have gotten malaria. There was another thing that was out there. So he got sick. You notice, he got sick to the point of death. This word, uh, 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 talking about being sick is the same word that's used for Lazarus that died in the, the Gospel of John and Dorcas that died in the Book of Acts. This is serious sickness. Now question, when he was sick, when he was with Paul, why didn't Paul just heal him instantaneously and not Let them get sick to the point of death because sickness is under the sovereignty of God. And listen, there's people out there that will tell you that, you know, uh, uh, if you have enough faith, you'll never be sick, or if you pray with enough faith, you'll, never, you'll be healed all every time. Not true. Now, do we believe in healing? Yes. The Bible says in the book of James chapter 5 that if you're sick, call for the elders, the prayer, prayer of faith, and you can be healed. We believe in healing. We have a, a gentleman in the church that uh, has lung cancer. We're encouraging him to come this Wednesday night, and the elders are going to lay hands on him and pray for him. We're praying that God will heal him. But does God always heal? No. And we need to acknowledge that and realize that because some people will be telling people, if you just have enough faith, you'll be healed, and if you're not healed, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you've got a serious sickness, that's the last thing you need is someone laying a trip on you that you don't have enough faith, and that's why you're not healed. Don't do that, church. Epaphroditus. Paul had the gift of healing. In the book of Acts, people were just touching Paul's apron and they were being healed. People, he had a gift of healing, but in this instance, Epaphroditus almost died because in, in the first instance, God didn't heal him right away. God sometimes progressively heals. Sometimes God doesn't heal until, until we get to heaven, right? So the, the proper theology on healing is God can and will heal, but God doesn't always heal because God has other plans in his sovereignty sometimes. So it goes on. Therefore, I send him all the more eagerly to you so that when you see him you may rejoice and I be, may be less concerned about you. Receive Epaphroditus in the Lord with all joy. Hold men like him in high regard because he's come close to death for the work of Christ. Risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Now, first thing I want you to see there about Epaphroditus, it says, He's sending them back to Philippi and saying, honor this guy. Hold this guy in high regard. Question, who should be our heroes as Christians? Should it be sports stars that can throw balls through hoops? Should it be rock concert people that can play great music? Should it be actors that can woo us with their acting? Should that be our heroes? No. Our heroes should be those that are risking their lives for the cause of Christ. We have an upside down world. You know, we have a world that's all about elevating people that are just talented people rather than regarding with high honor those that are serving Christ. One of my heroes is Jim, Jim Elliott, who was a Wheaton College grad that went to South America to minister to the savage, barbaric tribe that was known for killing people. And he, he with some of his other Wheaton College grads, continued to to try to minister to this tribe, and eventually it got him killed. He was martyred. He was sent down a river on a canoe with and dead bodies. Right before he was killed, he wrote a book called The Shadow of the Almighty, or actually he had journals called The Shadow of the Almighty. Elizabeth Elliot went on to publish it. And in those journals, right before he was killed, he wrote this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And I believe Jim Elliot, when he was martyred for the the cause of Christ, when he went to heaven, just like Stephen, I believe Christ probably greeted him with a standing honor and saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into the joy of your master. Amen? Now listen, last thing I want you to see here from this character of Epaphroditus, very important, very important. He risked everything for the cause of Christ. He traveled 1,200 miles through, through sea and land. This was before airplanes, planes, trains, and automobiles. He did that for the cause of Christ. And he got some kind of disastrous disease in the process. He almost died from. The word risk there, when it says he risked, is parabolomai in the Greek. And it means this. It means to throw the dice with all your money at one throw. You know what it's saying there? One of the reasons what made um, Epaphroditus worthy of great honor is willing to risk everything. He was willing to risk everything on one throw of the dice. For what? For Jesus. He was betting everything in his life that Jesus was real and he was going to lose his life for the cause of Christ. Risks, that's the last thing I want you to see. If you want to have a Christ-like character, be willing to be a risk-taker, paraboloma, a gambler that's willing to risk everything for the cause of Christ know why that's important? Because way too often we're we're hedging our bets on Christ. (laughs) Way too often we have way too much margin and we're thinking that we'll do this, but we're not going to really be that risk-taking for the kingdom. Listen, I was challenged by that this week. Because it seems like as we grow in Christ and we get mature in Christ, we get less and less adventuresome and risky in our faith. Remember when I first came to Christ, I'd witness to anybody. And now sometimes I'm a little bit, ooh, i got to tell them I'm a pastor. They won't talk to me anymore if I tell them I'm a pastor. I I get a kick out of that. I'll I'll be on the golf course playing golf with somebody, and they'll swear four-letter words, everything else, and then they'll ask me, hey, what do you do for a living, by the way? (laughs) I'm a pastor. (laughs) They won't swear for the rest of the round. (laughs) But here's some areas that I think God's calling us as a church to take some risks in that you might not be taking risks in right now. First thing I just mentioned, in your witness. The Bible says our job as a Christian is to go into all the world and preach the gospel of all creation. Are we doing that? We have a theme for this year right up there on both air conditioning units. 2019, each one what? Reach one. Are we doing that? I don't care if you get ridiculed. I don't care if you get insulted. I don't care about what they say about at your work, that you're a holy Joe or a holy roll or whatever. It doesn't matter. Each one, let's reach one. Let's get this job done. Let's be about our Father's business. Let's be out there being witnessing to people. And not only that, let's be inviting them to church. Because we have the first Sunday of every month. I'm going to start really going after this thing. But the first Sunday of every month, we do communion. And when we do communion the first Sunday of every month, we're going to start making that a Friends Sunday where we're going to encourage you to start bringing friends because the gospel will be presented and, and people will get saved that you bring to church. So let's do that. Amen? Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And I had one gentleman I was just talking to this weekend about this, and we came up with a plan. And the plan is the first Sunday of every month, when we do Friends Sunday like that, uh, we're going to start giving a little bit of a motivation to your friends to come because uh, how many people like Dunkin' Donuts? How many people like Dunkin' Donuts coffee? So here's what we're going to start doing. We have this gentleman that donated enough uh, money for the first Friends Sunday which will be the first Sunday in July to, for, for every person that brings a guest on our Friends Sunday you're going to get a $5 gift card to Dunkin' Donuts for you and for your friend and don't give me a hard time about that because I had the individual, he's paying all the money for it it's not coming to church funds, he's already donated it we we'll have 100 gift cards for Dunkin' Donuts, you bring a friend you get a Dunkin' Donuts gift card and then you also you say, Pastor John, that's bribery I don't care Jesus said, be fishers of men. So if we got to use some bait, let's use some bait, man. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The bait's going to be Dunkin' Donuts, either coffee or donuts. And so we'll start having that uh, the first Sunday. We'll have some motivation there to, to, to bring a friend, and that friend will get a $5 gift card. You'll get a $5 gift card at the Welcome Center. And we'll see some people get saved through that. Paul said, I've become all things to all men to win more to Christ." And so we'll become Dunkin' Donuts givers. All things to all men to win more people to Christ, right? So, second thing, let's take it some risks on. How about serving the Lord, man? Well, I don't know. No, yes. We're supposed to take our time, our talents, and treasures in serving the Lord. Let's do that. I, I, we need more ushers. We need more greeters. We need more children's ministry people. We need more people uh, uh, getting involved with youth ministry. We need, we need some more servants around here. I know that's going to challenge your comfort zones, but let's take some more risks. Serving the Lord. Now I'm really going to step on toes. How about, how about giving? Oh, the preachers talking about giving again. Yeah, I am. The Bible says, bring your whole tithe to the storehouse and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing on you. Test me, God says in this, and see if I won't bless you if you start giving the way you're supposed to give. Heidi and I, from day one of our marriage, 32 years ago, we made a commitment that no matter what our financial situation was, we were going to be tithers to the church that we pastor. And we've done that every week for the last 32 years. And we would not stop doing it because you can't outgive God. The Bible says, Given will be given unto you. There's a principle, a spiritual law there. If you take the risk and you're a giver for the kingdom, God will bless you. Now, does that mean you'll become a millionaire? No. But God will meet all your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus. You can't outgive God. And one of the risks that some of you might need to start taking is start giving the way God's calling you to give, which is bringing your whole tithe to the storehouse. And so let's be risk-takers. Let's be parabolomis, gamblers. Let's take some risks for the kingdom of God like like Epaphroditus did, whether it be in our witness, whether it be in our serving, whether it be in our giving. Let's get out there in the deep water because that's where the fish are at. Let's get out there on the limb. That's where the fruit's at. And what are some of the things we learned this morning about character? Good stuff this morning. Number one, we learned this morning hey, put Christ and others first. Very important. Very important. If you want to have Christ like character, you gotta get out of self absorption. Put Christ and others first. Have genuine welfare, or general concern for the welfare of other people. Put the interests of Christ before your own interests. Number two, very important be faithful. Be a proven worth. Be trustworthy. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Don't be flaky and fickle like the rest of the world. Number three, be fervent. Hey, do your work fervently. Whether it's serving the Lord or working out in the marketplace, do it fervently. Be like a child serving with his father. Number number four, very important we learned this morning, hey, be a risk taker. There's some adventure in that risk taking. Go for it. Be a witness. Be a servant. Be a giver. Test the waters in some of these areas. See what God will do. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you that your word feeds us, equips us, helps us grow in righteousness. Thank you for the character you've called us to be as witnesses for Christ. Help us to be people that are living out what we're learning, Lord. Help us to be people that just don't have a head knowledge but have the wisdom to live it out, Father. Help us to be following the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus by having a genuine concern for the welfare of other people, Lord. Help us to put the interests of Christ and others before our interests, Lord, just like Timothy did. Help us to be people, too, that are faithful, Lord. God, if we give our word on something, help us to be people of our word, Being trustworthy, Lord. Help us as as we're we're faithful. Help us to see the fruitfulness in that, Lord, that you can entrust more to us because we're faithful in the little things. God, I pray, too, that you help us to be fervent. Fervent. Help us to be hearty in our work, in our ethic, of whatever you you call us to do. Help us to do do it not half-heartedly, but wholeheartedly for the kingdom of God. And, Lord, help us, too, to be risk-takers, Help us not to be people that are just kind of hedging our bets, but we're, we're giving it all. We're, we're taking risks. We're taking risks for the kingdom of God. We're taking risks in our witnessing and inviting people and telling people about Jesus. We're taking risks in our serving, even outside of our comfort zones. We're taking risks, Lord, in regards to even our giving. We're not ashamed to bring that whole tithe to your storehouse because you will open the windows of heaven and you will pour out a blessing as we give, as you call us to give. Thank you, Lord, for the examples that we've seen in Scripture this morning. Help us to follow them as they follow Christ, as they did follow Christ. Help us to be people with that character that you've called us to be, Lord. And we know we can't do this apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. So once again, we ask for the power of your Holy Spirit to live in these ways, Lord. Fill us afresh, even right now as we're praying. Give us a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit this Sunday here at Calvary Chapel, Lord. Just thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Continue to bless Calvary Chapel, Lord. Help us to be a church that is a city set on a hill, a lighthouse for your kingdom, a place where people are coming to Christ and learning your word, God, and learning how to live for you and then living it out. Thank you for this time in your word, Lord. May it be for all for your glory as we become not just hearers of your word, but doers, God. We pray these things now in Jesus' name.